Welcome to the Tablet Podcast. Today, I'm talking to Christopher Lamb, the Tablet's Rome correspondent. I'm Ruth Gledhill, assistant editor. And we're going to be discussing the death and coming funeral of the late Pope Emeritus, Benedict XVI. Chris, this wasn't an expected death, was it? Um, he died this morning at around just after 9.30, but we'd had advanced notice of it from Pope Francis. That's right, Ruth. Um, on the 28th of December, Francis had called for prayers for Benedict, who he said, and it was clear that the Pope Emeritus's health was uh, in decline. And I think that's been the case for, for some months now. Um, although Benedict, uh, early on after his uh, retirement, was was uh, receiving quite a few guests um, and he continued to receive them and was seen out um, having walks and occasionally making contributions in letters and, and articles. In recent months and years, we, we really had heard very little from him and it was clear he wasn't, wasn't really able to, to speak, although he did have a mental alertness. So when, when Pope Francis asked for prayers for him and said he was very ill and then the Vatican... Um, clarified, saying that he'd taken a turn for the worse. Um, I still thought it might be a little bit longer, you know, and that he might um, continue, especially when I, I believe he celebrated Mass from his bed yesterday. Yes, the Vatican said it was a stable health condition that he was in, um, but obviously at the same time it was serious and deteriorating, so it wasn't clear quite how long. Um, but I think if you look at the, the most recent photos um, of Benedict, it, it, it seems you know, that that he was, um, you know, to, you know, in decline, and he's ninety-five years old. And uh, it, it was, I think, when Francis made that announcement, it was always going to be sooner rather than later. We we're going to be told that he that he had died. Do you think his surprise resignation, um, what is the thing that he'll be most remembered for, or will he have a broader legacy than that? Well, I think he will have a very broad legacy, certainly broad theological legacy. I mean, he was the centre of so many of the major Catholic discussions during the latter part of the 20th century and the early 21st century. He was a theological advisor during the Second Vatican Council, played a a very important part in that and then of course as the prefect for the congregation of the doctrine of the faith now the dicastery of the doctrine of the faith uh, he was uh, a, a very important uh, figure in setting out the the line the clear lines of what was acceptable when it came to theological discussion um, and got a reputation as something of an enforcer uh, and then, obviously, as Pope, a lot of his writings on the three book series, Jesus of Nazareth, and his encyclicals, God is Love, and his uh, also his, his statements on the environment. I think there's, there's a big legacy, a big body of theological work that I think is very important. Um, and then I must also mention his 2010 visit to Britain, which was, I think, one of the highlights of the pontificate, although not expected to be a highlight, but it was a great success and one that many Catholics in Britain remember and had a, had a lasting legacy. So I think those things, the theological writings, 
the trips to uh, to Britain for thinking of, of, of Catholics in Britain here, especially those things are really important uh, legacies. But I think the resignation will be something that, that will be his kind of marker in history. So there's a couple of things I'd like to follow up on there. First of all, the visit. So I went to the mass in Birmingham and um, I was part of reporting on the visit a lot, a lot throughout the visit and also in the run up to the visit when there were protests and that kind of thing. And um, he had this reputation of being God's Rottweiler. Um, but when he came, people saw a different side to him, one that maybe they hadn't expected or hadn't understood properly. And it was a much more humble and spiritual and um, user-friendly Pope than people had expected. And in fact, he, he kind of shone with holiness, in my view. And um, what we, what, you know, at the Mass in Birmingham and with all those people there, it was one of the most profound and moving occasions. And I've heard similar reports from other people who were present at some of the other occasions. And why do you think we had this idea of him as one thing and um, but the picture was much more compli complex than that. And do you think this other side of him is the one that now will stay in people's memories? Well, I think those people who knew Benedict and had an encounter with him were always uh, struck by his, his kindness, his gentleness, his humility. And I think that is certainly uh, the, the, what many people... Uh, particularly those who, who saw him up close will 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 remember. Um, I think the the sort of God's Rottweiler label uh, that came about because of the many theological inquiries that were launched by the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith during Benedict's tenure. So he you know, and it's true to say that there was a lot of um, uh, we can say disciplinary action against certain theologians uh, there was um, there were there were clear conflicts and disagreements uh, but it, it's a kind of um, uh, tension really in Benedict that that on, you know on the one hand he um, took quite tough lines um, when it came to uh, theological debate but on the other hand uh, he was known as this um, very gentle and, and kind and, and conciliatory person. Um, but I mean, I think that would be a mistake. He didn't um, have very high values when it came to uh, theology and to ensuring that, um, that there was a clear understanding from his point of view as, as the guardian of the faith as he saw it in that role in the congregation. <laughs> He wasn't always conservative, was he? Or he was his conservatism was slightly different when he was a much younger man, and I believe he changed a little bit in around 19, the nineteen sixties. Do you know what led led to that change? Well, that's right. And um, he started off as uh, you can say more of a reform minded theologian. He took part in the Second Vatican as a Peritus and a theological advisor. Um, I mean, I don't think it's fair to say he was he went from liberal to conservative overnight. But I think what what did change his view was the uh, the nineteen sixties. His experience um, at uh, university at Tübingen University, um, and during a during a time of of great you know tumult in the in the church and the wider world and. That I think 
led him to reassess. Um, you know, as a young academic, uh, he was, you know, really disgusted by some of the uh, student hecklers who interrupted his lectures um, and a parish he was active in at the time became quite radicalised. So I think that those experiences did, it did affect him deeply. Yes. And he was always, as a theologian, someone seeking to ensure that the church of the contemporary era was properly linked to the uh, to early Christianity, to, to the church of the of, of the first centuries uh, of of um, of Christian development, but also the gospels, the scriptures. I think that is what was his driving um his driving emphasis. He was a, a, a theologian of the of of going back to the sources of resource small theology. Yes, and he brought back um, the Tridentine Mass, or, or rather, he kind of gave it a higher prominence in the church, didn't he? That's right. Um, that was a very controversial decision. Um, the releasing of Smorum Pontificum, which was the uh, effectively lifting of the restrictions of the old rite Tridentine Mass. Uh, something that um, Pope Francis abrogated, as we know, in Traditionis Custodis quite recently. Um, I think there will be people who say that that decision to that, of Benedict in 2007 was one that um, some people feel went against the Second Vatican Council or the reforms of the Second Vatican Council. He Benedict would have said no, it wasn't. But and if you read Small Pontificum carefully, um, it wasn't actually Benedict's intention to sort of promote the old right mass all over the world, which some of some of those who uh, some of the followers of the of the traditional mass wanted. Um, but yes, clearly that decision was seen as something that that was going backwards when it came to. Uh, the council and Vatican too. So Pope Francis has kind of um, undone that um, to a large degree, and um, uh, the, the peop- there were there were factions, as you know, divisions within the church. With um, you can basically um, say that it's a pro-Vatican II lot versus an anti-Vatican II lot. Um, do you think now, um, with the passing of Benedict? Um, and with Pope Francis very definitely being a pro-Vatican II man, do you think now that um, there is will be no going back to Samoan Pontificum and to that kind of thing? Or how what are the, what will the traditionalists do now that Benedict has gone? Well, I, th- I think it's hard to say, um, and I think also maybe not always be Vatican II or pro-Vatican II. It's often different interpretations of, of Vatican II, and it's often different emphases as well. And I think, um, you know, most or any, anyone in the church uh, needs to accept an ecumenical council as the as the highest authority in, in the church, which Vatican II is. So um, I think in terms of where we go now, I, I think that in many respects, um, Francis is, I think, uh, going to be more freer, perhaps, to uh, push forward with the, the reforms of, of or implementation of the reforms of the council, and that's something he's been doing for some time. Um, it also, I suppose, puts a focus on how long he 
wishes to stay in the in post. Um, it was always thought that whilst Benedict was alive, Francis would not resign. So I think it, it does um, put a sharper focus on what Francis is going to do with the time that he has left. Now, do you think this sets any kind of precedent and that we might see a resignation by Francis when, when he also feels that the job has become too much for him? After all, he is um, in his 80s too, isn't he? Yeah, I think that certainly the resignation of Benedict does open the way for future re resignations. Whether Francis will definitely resign is, is not clear. I think he wants to continue in, in post at least until the uh, process that's underway finishes and that is going on now until the end of 2024 so the uh, I think surprise if anything happens before then in terms of a resignation um, Francis's health is fragile uh, he's been using a wheelchair for many months but he's still uh, is travelling. He's going to be going to Congo and South Sudan at the end of January. And he is, uh, as he says, he, he doesn't govern with his knee, his head. And um, so his his mobility issues are obviously something that is, is, is difficult, but it doesn't stop him from, from leaving the church. So I, I think we're going to see Francis around for, for, for a fair bit longer. Yes, and the synodal process, of course, is, is um, a key plank of the reforms that he's pushing through. He wants to elevate the status of women um, within the church, although not to ordain them. And he is also pushing through um, financial reforms. So he's got quite a lot on his plate still. Um, how, how do you think he's doing? And does this, does this um, change anything, what's happened? I think uh, it doesn't change anything fundamentally because I think Francis, certainly in the last two years, has been um, operating at full pelt in terms of moving forward with, with reforms when it comes to, as you mentioned, Vatican finances. We've got a huge Vatican finance trial going on. Uh, when it comes to the Synod, that is stepping up a gear uh, this year and, and through to 2024. So I think it's not going to change the direction of Francis's papacy, but I, I do think it will, uh, in a sense, free him up a little bit more to to put his foot down fat on the accelerator to uh, continue for, for for as long as he possibly can. And, um, and I, as I said, I think it probably won't be until the end of the synod process that he makes any decision about standing down, if he indeed decides to do that. So, Chris, you're going to Rome for the funeral next Thursday and um, you're also going to South Sudan with the Pope and the Archbishop of Canterbury and the moderator of the Church of Scotland. So uh, we'd very much like it if you were to come back and talk to us again about these um, two events. So um, can, we, can we rely on you to do that? <laughs> Absolutely. Very happy to do so, Ruth. And look Thank you, Chris, and have a good um, trip to Rome. And I can't wait to hear all about it. Thanks, Ruth, and uh, look forward to speaking again.